In 2010, the international attention of the world was focused on a mine in Chile. Because in Chile, 33 miners were trapped from August for 66 days until they were miraculously rescued after drilling a hole uh, and uh, releasing them, and all 33 survived. In 2018, in June, um, you remember Thailand. And in underground in Thailand, there were 13 um, people trapped there, 13 boys and their 12 boys and their coach from a soccer team. And we watched uh, for uh, nine days until they were found, and then a few uh, days longer till all, all of them were rescued. Both of those groups were trapped underground without uh, means of helping themselves escape. One was trapped by a boulder the si twice the size of the Empire State Building. There was no way they were moving it. There was no people f way people from the outside were moving it. They had to drill another hole to release them, and it took uh, 66 days, I believe. The other was were trapped by water. Remember, it flashed floods, and the rains came and trapped them underground, and they couldn't uh, swim to safety, and uh, expert divers had to be called in from around the world uh, to help them. And when you are trapped underground, and if you've ever been caving underground, which I had the privilege of doing in Indiana, about 450 feet underground, and we all turned our headlamps off, guess what we saw? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. As long as we waited for our eyes to adjust to see a little bit, eyes adjusted, and guess what we saw? Nothing. Complete darkness. Imagine being trapped for 66 days or 18 days underground, rationing your food, drinking water that's falling from the ceiling, and your only hope is coming from the outside. The joy of light. If you were to ask those that were rescued after being trapped for 66 days, they would tell you that the most joyous thing they saw was probably the sun. Light, their families. And I remember just hiking for a couple hours underground and looking back to see, this is the last daylight I'm going to see for a few hours, and coming back out of the ground and a caving expedition, it was a joyous thing to see light. There's a picture here of what we think is the wise men. And they were told years ago and probably passed down from generation to generation, look to, it was their west, they came from the east, look to the west, when you see this bright star, go. That's when the king is going to be born. And we saw, we read the story, that their story is in Matthew 2. But Isaiah promises, and if you want to follow along the Pew Bible there in page 680, there is a promise of the Messiah. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. We're going to look at the first five verses, and then we'll have some more singing. We'll look at verse 6 and more singing, and then verse 7 
in our conclusion. So we'll have we'll split this into three parts. Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah written about 700 years before the Messiah comes, before the Savior. And <coughs> in dark days, you may have, you may say this to yourself, looking back at your life, the longer you live, there were some dark days. What causes people to say, these were dark days in our house or dark days in my life? I have heard of people contemplating or attempting suicide. And those, those attempts or the, that kind of conversation and thought process is in the middle of pretty dark days. Could be relational struggles, could be financial struggles, could be emotional struggles that causes you to be in a really dark place. And some of you aren't looking forward to Christmas because of loss of loved one, loved ones, or you're apart from uh, people that you love, or things are different, or uh, health diagnosis, or financial struggles, or whatever it is, and you just feel like you're in a dark place. What do you need when you're in a dark place? And now it gets dark in New England at 4.30. We know what darkness is like at 4.30, and if you go to work in the dark and you come home in the dark, it's like, oh, it's just dark. And the Christmas lights that people put up kind of raise your spirits a little bit, but January's coming, and people take their should take their Christmas lights down uh, in January, and now it's still dark, and it's long hours of darkness. What we want is light. What God made us to enjoy is light. Well, in Israel's history, when Ahaz is king, he is a not a good king. And when you, when you have an absolute monarch who's not a good king, your whole kingdom is going to be in darkness. And the world has known darkness for years and years under bad rulers, under a lack of revelation from God between the testaments of about 400 years. And now you could say in our culture, in our world right now, there are people that live in a lot of darkness. They have no hope. Yeah, they may boost their spirits here in the month of December or when they have something to look forward to, like the birth of a child or grandchild or something good happens, a promotion and a little ray of light and, and hope, but then back into darkness. Well, let's see about uh, what we can learn from darkness here in Isaiah 9. Verse 1, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. That's the northern part of Israel. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea. Still talking about the northern part of Israel. The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations or the Gentiles. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen great, uh, a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Who needs light? If you are in a prison of your own making or in a physical prison, what you would love if you were trapped in this cell, what would make this cell bearable would be in daylight hours, lights coming in that window. And if you could reach that window, you would be looking out that window, longing for, oh, I can't wait till I am released. 
And that light coming from the outside is hope that someday things will be better. And if you're in a dark place or you've been in a dark place, what you've wanted is light. And it says here, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Isaiah 9, 2 is quoted in Matthew 4 as been fulfilled by our Savior, Jesus Christ, when he came. And when he came, he grew up in the area of Naphtali and Zebulun, the northern part of Israel. And And Matthew 4 says, when Jesus starts his earthly ministry, that now Isaiah 9 is being fulfilled. Those who walked in great darkness have seen uh, a a great light. Verse 2 continues, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So what was life like when Jesus comes on the scene? Well, if you were a national Israelite, you would have hated the idea that Rome is controlling your area. There are centurions and Roman soldiers around. There are tax uh, people that you have to pay a large amount of your income to. And you're reminded that you're not really free as you want to be, that you're in bondage. And it's, you feel politically in darkness. Religiously, they were in darkness. They were trying desperately to follow their Pharisees and their religious leaders and trying to obey the law as many people in many false religions today are trying to follow a list of rules and eventually people say, I just can't do it. And people are in religious darkness. And that was the case when Jesus comes to earth. The political leaders and the religious leaders both hated him because he was the great light. And they didn't want the light. And we'll find out why People don't want the light, but they need the light. Verse 3 continues, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide, as, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So if an abundance of wealth, an abundance of freedom comes from this light. And a lot of people are going to increase their joy. Verse 4, for the yoke of his burden, the people that were in darkness because of a burden, um, the yoke is broken and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor. And you have broken as on the day of Midian. And that's when Gideon was ruling as in Judges, the Midianites were, um, their rule was broken. And verse 5, for every boot of the tramping warrior in a battle, in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. No more battles, no more fighting. There is hope. And the joy of light at Christmas is this idea that when Jesus comes, he begins the hope. We're going to sing. Father, thank you. Thank you for doing that for us. Back in Isaiah chapter 9, many of the songs that you've heard already talk about Jesus being the king. When you expect a king to come, you don't expect him to not have a room. You don't expect his parents to be poor. You don't expect him to grow up 
hardly anyone knowing him except family and a few people around him. You don't expect him to be primarily a teacher and a healer. You don't expect him to be condemned to die at age 33. You don't expect him to rise again. You do expect him to go back to heaven and to be seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Who brings this light and joy? If you are one of those miners or one of that soccer team, you could not thank your rescuers enough. When it came to rescuing the soccer team in Thailand in 2018, one of the rescuers passed away in the attempts of rescue. The soccer team and their coach survived. But you couldn't thank the family of the man who died rescuing you enough if you are living and he is not. Who brings this light and joy? We're in Isaiah chapter 9. The verse is up here. You want to follow along in a Bible? It's page uh, uh, 680. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, and we'll stop there. This child that is born, this son is given. If you were in a bad kingdom, a dark kingdom, and the reason it was dark was your, your, your emperor, your king, was awful. He was cruel. He was unjust. No one liked to go to him for counsel. No one liked his justice. No one liked his warfare. No one liked his taxes. This is not Jesus. And when you see someone's name, name is either a good name or a bad name. Let's look at the name of this child who is born, the son who is given, and the government is going to be on his shoulder. He is going to rule. He's going to rule in his name. People are going to say his rule reminds me of a wonderful counselor. Who gives wonderful counsel? Maybe you had a parent or grandparent growing up, and you maybe as a teenager didn't like their counsel. But as you look back, they spared your life probably with their counsel. And as an adult, you look back and say, whoa, I got wonderful counsel from my grandma, from my dad, from my uncle. They spared me a lot of grief and heartache that my friends went through and I didn't go through because they were a wonderful counselor. If you have a wonderful counselor and you're in a dark place, you know what's going to happen? You're going to start having joy. Because the light of their counsel is going to be obvious to you. Jesus, his name is called Wonderful Counselor. Maybe you're in a dark place like the miners or the soccer team, and you didn't need counsel as much as you need might. I believe the miners were trapped about 2,000 feet below the surface, and they drilled down to them. You know what they needed? They needed a massive drill bit. In a long time. 
to get that much earth above them removed so that they could escape. And you might be in a dark place, and what you need is a mighty God. If you have considered or attempted suicide, or you know of someone, you know what they need? They need a mighty God. They need someone who is a wonderful counselor. And this is our Jesus. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. Jesus is called a father. That may scratch your head a little bit, but he gives birth to children. All of us in God's family are there because of Jesus. He is our everlasting Father. He was who the Israelites needed and who we need in the New Testament as his church. And notice how long he is a father. Everlasting. If your dad has passed away, it was probably a sad day for you. It will be a sad day for me when my dad departs this earth. But we have a Savior who is an everlasting father. He is actually a father to the fatherless. He, and knowing him, brings joy and light in your life. And finally, he is the prince of peace. If you're in a dark place, what you lack is peace. You can try to manufacture it. You can try to get people around you that are funny. You can watch YouTube and funny people there. You can watch television shows and subscribe to all kinds of streaming platforms. But they can't provide what Jesus alone can provide, which is peace. If you're in a dark place, no matter what's causing that darkness, and you're feeling like walking in darkness and you need light, look to the only person ever to be a wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Our final three songs are going to point us to our Savior again, and we'll conclude in our final message with verse 7. Our final look at Isaiah 9. We saw what Jesus' names are, and we anticipate what kind of rule he will have. How will he rule? And we'll see in uh, Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uh, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So you see up here on the screen as the verse comes up. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. If you have a really good king and your kingdom is not in darkness, you don't want that king to die. You want him to live forever. 
And what do people say in old times when the king is there? Long live the king. But if you have an awful king, people might say, long live the king. Oh, <laughs> we want him gone. If you have the perfect king, you don't want him to leave. His government is going to keep increasing. And it's not going to be a totalitarian, awful dictatorship where you're going to be losing freedom and it's going to be torture of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it. And this is how he's going to rule with justice and with righteousness. How long is he going to rule? From this time forth and forevermore. We're going to see on the next slide. I summarize this verse like this. I'll read it again. He's going to rule peacefully. He's going to rule eternally. He's going to rule as the promised or fulfilled king. A thousand years before Jesus comes, David had the promise that... Uh, a son is going to sit on David's throne forever. Isaiah, written 700 years before Christ, tells us about this Messiah coming. And then 700 years after Isaiah, we have the promise of the king. And if you watch Jesus' life in the Gospels, you think, he is not ruling like other kings. But the first time he comes, he rules over one thing primarily. Our greatest enemy that causes all of us to be in darkness. You know what that enemy is? Sin. Jesus never sinned. He was the substitute lamb of God who takes our place on the cross. And on the cross, we heard it saying, that Jesus cries, it is finished, or paid in full. He paid for all of your sin, all of my sin, on the cross. That's why he came the first time. And you say, and people, when uh, four days before he died, they were saying, Hosanna to the king. They wanted Jesus to rule over Rome so that he could feed them, he could heal them, he could rule over them, and he didn't come the first time. As the religious, as the uh, as the religious or political leaders, he came over sin. But his kingdom twice here is said to be eternal. In case we missed it the first time, he's going to rule justly. He's going to rule righteously. Doesn't this sound like a perfect reign? This is the perfect reign. So why do people hate Jesus? On our next slide, I think there's the clue. Romans 10, 9 to 13. And the question I'm going to leave you with is this. Do you want to be part of your kingdom or his kingdom? The world tells you right now, your flesh inside of you is telling you this, and the devil is tempting you this way all the time. Songs, movies, thoughts, education, books, pop psychology. You're hearing it over and over again. Build your own kingdom. 
This is your time. This is your life. This is your body. Do with it whatever you want. Don't let anyone tell you what to do because then you're going to lose your freedom. So you want to build your own kingdom. And your kingdom isn't peaceful. It's not eternal. You're not promised to be the king. You don't rule your kingdom justly. You don't rule your kingdom righteously. And you're reminded again, your kingdom is not eternal. You're not the king. Life is not about you. Life is not about me. And in Romans 10, Romans 10, 9 to 13 says this. You see it up here if you want to follow along in your Bible, uh, in the Pew Bible there, page 1124. Oh, by the way, if you do not have a Bible and you want one of your own, you're welcome to take the Bible out of the pew and take it home with you today as our gift to you. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, I'll go back there, guys, sorry, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And in the context of what we're saying today, the joy of light, you are not going to be dwelling in darkness any longer. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, or those who are not Jewish, those of us who are not Jewish or Gentiles. For the same Lord is Lord of all. And when you're part of his kingdom, he bestows his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now I'll explain it in the next slide. If it's a condition, it's not true of everyone. Everyone doesn't get to heaven. It's a condition. What's the condition in these in that verse? If you confess, that means you agree with God. That means you disagree with your heart, disagree with the culture, disagree with Satan's temptations to build your own kingdom. You cannot be part of your kingdom and God's kingdom at the same time. You confess, you agree with God that Jesus is Lord. He's your master. If you are in a dungeon and there is one person who can get you out, would you be a fool to not call on him? If you are trapped in darkness, knowing for sure that that darkness is going to lead to your death, those miners in that soccer team, they knew they could not live forever trapped. They had to be rescued. We are trapped by our sin. When you and I lie, we build the bars of our dungeon. When we dishonor our parents, when we take God's name in vain, 
when we lust, when we covet what other people have, when we think about killing someone because of our hatred for them. We're breaking the Ten Commandments. We're breaking God's law. We are trapped in our sin. The longer you stay trapped in your sin, the longer you're staying in darkness. And if you think it's not that bad, you don't realize the joy of light. Living in a cave is not the place to live. Living trapped in sin is not the way to live. I don't care how many people are smiling and entertaining themselves and looking like they're living the fun life. It is not fun when you sin. It causes you to be trapped. When you lie, people around you distrust you and cause you to be trapped into no one believes me. It's a horrible way to live. When you cheat on your spouse, it's a horrible way to live. We confess, we agree with God that Jesus is Lord. He is my master. I am not trying to build my own kingdom anymore. I need him. Why do you need Jesus? You need him the first time, bec- the first time he came because he needs to take away your sin. All of your sin, all of the consequences of your sin are nailed to Jesus, Romans says. You don't have to bear the consequences of your sin. You don't have to stay in darkness. It would be foolish to stay trapped in a dark cave and there's nothing between you to get out. You say, no, I'm just going to stay here. And people (laughs) are pleading with you. Don't stay trapped in your sin. Don't try to obey a list of rules that false teachers are telling you. Look at what God says in his word. Jesus is Lord. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a healer and a miracle worker. He is master. He is king. You saw that in Isaiah 9. You'll see it over and over and over again in the New Testament. And you see it as clear as possible in Revelation 19 and 20. When Jesus comes riding on a white horse, the second time Jesus comes, it's going to be obvious and the whole world's going to see him. And on his garments is this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And Handel's Messiah captures that at Christmas time. Love hearing that. It never gets old. Jesus is Lord. And if he's Lord, which he is, this is reality. There's only one Lord, and it's Jesus. There's one way to get to heaven. It's Jesus. There's one way to agree with God. It's Jesus is Lord. And in the green you hear is my words of explanation. I need him to forgive me and to provide for me because a good master would provide for those in his household. Make sure they were uh, clothed and protected and uh, make sure they were provided for. And when you are in Jesus' kingdom, your commitment is to serve him. Next on our slide, if you confess that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart. I can't believe for you. You can't believe for someone else. This is a personal, in your heart, do you believe? Trust completely. Right now you're trusting completely in your pew to hold you off the ground. And your trust is well placed because none of you are sitting on the ground. You're all on a pew. You're trusting. 
Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. So Jesus died, assumed here in this verse. Jesus is alive. His birth was miraculous. His resurrection was miraculous. Believe in your heart. Trust completely that God raised Jesus from the dead. After Jesus' death on the cross for your sin, God raised him the third day. You have to believe that. I'll tell you it's true. You can read that it's true. The Holy Spirit, as you read God's word, will convince you this is true. This is true. This is true. Believe it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by God's word. I'm giving you God's word, but you have a copy of God's word in front of you. You can take it home with you. If you don't have a copy, you can find a version or online Bible to read and read these verses that I uh, showed you this morning. Don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it, though. God raised Jesus from the dead. And if you confess Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the end of the verse says this. Then you will be saved. It does not say, eh, you might. God may accept you into his kingdom. The end of verse 9 of Romans 10 says, you will be saved. And it talks about who is saved and when Jesus is Lord over all. And then Romans 10, 13 is up here too in, in black. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Everyone, Jew, Greek, slave, free, doesn't matter. And everyone, the door is open. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. If you're trapped in sin, there's one phone call you need to make. It's not 911. It's not Amazon. It's not Apple or Google. They aren't going to save you. They're not going to give you the peace that you long for when you're trapped in sin. There is one person you need to talk to. And call means to cry out to them to be saved. Like you're trapped in underground and you've got one phone call before your phone dies and you're trapped forever. Who do you call? Your soul is trapped in sin right now if you have not trusted Jesus. You are building your own kingdom, and you can try your best to build your own kingdom. It's going to look nothing like Jesus' kingdom. And when you get to the end of your life, you're going to stand before God. And if, your name is n if you're not in Jesus' kingdom, he's going to say these words to you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And if God doesn't know you, you will be condemned for all eternity. You say, I don't want you to talk about hell at Christmas time. Okay? God loves us so much, he warns us of rejecting him. God is a loving God, but he's also just. He will not overlook your sin. He won't tolerate it. You don't squeak into heaven, building your own kingdom. But I just was hearing a story of a lady who for her whole 90-plus years was an atheist, hated God, hated him, scoffed at her daughter who came to Christ, hated the fact that her daughter married a pastor, hated the fact that her grandchildren called on the name of the Lord, hated God, 90-plus years, two Days before she died, 
who called on the name of the Lord. And she'll be in heaven. She is in heaven. We'll see here. Think what kind of God allows someone to hate him for 90 years and then two days before she meets her maker, she submits. A God who is rich in mercy. Because of the great love wherewith he loved us. Everyone, the worst of sinners, the worst people on death row, the worst people in the Bible, like the Apostle Paul, the worst people like the person sitting next to you here in the pew. Oh, they look good and they smell good today. But they're sinners. They've offended God. And you wonder why they want to sing, why they want to come worship. We don't worship just at Christmas and Easter. You may come at Christmas and Easter. You may watch at Christmas and Easter. But you know what? Next Sunday, many of the people around you are going to be sitting right where they're at now. The next Sunday on Christmas morning, they're going to be sitting right where they are now. New Year's Day, they're going to be sitting right where they are now. And every single Sunday that God allows them. You know why? Because when you're part of Jesus' kingdom, you can't praise him enough. When you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. And when you're part of his kingdom, you want other people to be part of his kingdom. And you tell people, look at Romans 10, 9 and 13. And there's no other religion that guarantees salvation. The moment you die, you wake up in heaven as a guarantee. And yet Romans 10, 9 and 13 say you will be saved. And for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. If you don't know for sure, you're on your way to heaven. Talk to someone who invited you today. Talk to me. I'd love to talk with you and share more. You may have a lot of questions. I can't show you all that's in the Bible in, uh, in our time together. But we study God's word here. As faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I want to thank the Lord uh, for our time together. Thank the Lord for our food. We're closing uh, our closing song. And then after our closing song, we'll be dismissed uh, for our, our lunch. Our Father, thank you for uh, all that you've brought out this morning, all that are watching online. Thank you for your word that is clear, that you promised David, you promised the Messiah in Isaiah, and he came the first time to pay for our sins. We know he's coming the second time to rule eternally. We know his kingdom. There is no end. He's going to rule peacefully. He's going to rule completely and justly and righteously. And I pray for those who haven't submitted to Jesus as Lord yet, that today they would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. And I pray for their salvation. I pray for those who are atheists, agnostic, religious, spiritual, but not right with you. Pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Pray that they would call upon your name and that we know that you will save them from their sin and put them in your family and part of your kingdom. Thank you for allowing us 
uh, to be here together. Thank you for the voices you've given us, the minds you've given us. Thank you for the food that you've given us. Uh, bless that to our bodies and bless our time of fellowship. You be pleased with what we say and what we do. And uh, bless each one here today and help them to have a joyous Christmas living in your light. In Jesus' name, amen.